that's fun. Someone asked me in first service, why didn't you sing? Oh, there's a reason. <laughs> Good morning, church. To paraphrase Mr. Rogers, there is nowhere that I would rather be right now than here. And there is no one that I would rather be talking with than you. So glad to be here. Let's uh, open up with a word of prayer. Father, you're good, and you are so kind to us. And we're grateful for just the people that we get to cross paths with, whether it be on a, on a personal level or whether it be through uh, a TV screen like with Mr. Rogers, just those people that we get to cross paths with who really exemplify the kindness that you have given us through Jesus. And I just pray, Lord, that this morning as we open up your word, that God, you will teach us, that we will hear your voice of just encouragement to live this life of love and kindness and compassion for others. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So I've learned a lot about Fred Rogers over the last couple of weeks. To be honest, I didn't really know a whole lot about him beyond just the, the kind of the cultural zeitgeist uh, that surrounded him, kind of the common knowledge about him. The only thing that I really knew about Mr. Rogers uh, was that one of his characters was the inspiration for Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And my girls loved Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. And so we watched a lot of that as they were growing up. And we even still continue to sing some of the songs, um, especially when, you know, they're getting angry. And so we'll sing, uh, it goes something, something like, if you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a deep breath, ready? And count to four, one, two, three, four. And I always find that it's much easier to have a conversation with my wife, Amber, about why she's so angry after we sing that song. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> Mr. Rogers really was an incredible person. He hosted all 895 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, that show made its national debut on February 19th, 1968, and ran all the way through um, August 31st, 2001. And, and I was kind of struck by that date when I saw that that was the last episode. And I think, man, couldn't the world have used a little bit more Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in the months following um, August 31st, 2001? He was the composer of the show's more than 200 songs. He was the puppeteer of the 14 characters that he brought life to and imagined into being. Fred Rogers cared deeply about those who were on the other side of the screen. With a graduate studies in child development and a divinity degree, he was keenly aware of, of the you know, fears and angst and concerns, the struggles and the joys that children faced. It's what allowed him to speak deeply into their hearts. Some of, some of you spoke deeply even into, into your heart as you watched the program growing up. He once said, we heard the, the, the line there in the opening, he once said that the space between the television screen and whoever happens to be receiving it, I consider that holy ground. It's holy ground. And even though Fred Rogers made his living speaking to children, one of the reasons why his message um, just continues to endure is because he found a way, I think, to speak to, to all of us. Like regardless of our age, our politics, 
our economics, our race, our religion. In fact, to me, one of the most poignant moments in TV history happened on May 9th, 1969. Mr. Rogers invited Officer Clemens, a black police officer in the show, to join him by taking off his shoes and putting his feet into a wading pool with Mr. Rogers. And this happened during a time in our culture when many community pools continued to experience segregation. Mr. Rogers was breaking down those barriers through his program. He produced a children's program, but in many regards, his show, and, and by extension, his ministry, it was for all of us. And if you've had the opportunity to see a beautiful day in the neighborhood, then, then you, you really get to see just the impact that that not just his program, but also his life made in this world. And if you're like me, you kind of had a hard time actually seeing it in between the tears that you were wiping away. But, but it left me thinking, this is the way life is supposed to be. Right? Like, isn't there something in you that, that even when you see that clip before the sermon, you just think, man, this is the way that the world is supposed to work. There's just something right and there was something good about this. But for many of us, it's not the way that life actually works. Like, that's not our reality. Mr. Rogers was known as a kind and giving and caring and graceful person. I don't know what your experience has been like. Uh, but those are our characteristics that man, we need more of in this world. I need more of in my life. Even when a jaded reporter for Esquire magazine tried to uncover the quote-unquote real Mr. Rogers, which is the, the premise of A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, what, what he found was this just gentle and meek and humble, this light-hearted and sweet-spirited person who not only ended up changing his mind about who the real Mr. Rogers and Fred Rogers was, that they were one and the same, but it ended up changing the course of his life as well. Just shows the power that kindness can have on others. And of all the moments that, um, that, I've, been, that I've been thinking about since watching the movie last Tuesday, it was, it was interesting. Like, um, that, that was like sermon prep, was going to the theater to watch a movie. That was kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> of all the things that, that I have, have been kind of chewing on since watching the movie last Thursday... There's one thing that I keep coming back to is when Mr. Rogers' wife, Joanne, was asked, what's it like living with a saint? What's it like living with a saint? Because that's kind of the status that so many people have kind of elevated to him, almost to that place of, of sainthood. And her response in the movie is the same response that I read in interviews of Joanne. It, it's the same response that I've seen in her own videos when she's talking about her husband. This is what she says in the movie and in real life. She says, I don't like that word, saint. If you make him out to be a saint, people might not know how hard he works at being a good person. If you make him out to be a saint, people will think that there is no way that they can be as kind as he is. The truth is, is that we can. And of all the scriptures that I think kind of capture Mr. Rogers' life and what we can learn uh, from him and from the documentary and from the, the movie that was just released, I can't think of a better one to go to this morning than Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a, a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, go ahead and pull that out. We'll have the words up on the screen as well. But man, now that we have lights back in here, it's so good to get into the word together. 
Ephesians chapter five, we'll be looking at verses one and two. We're in the second week of this series called At The Movies, and it's been so much fun uh, preparing for it and now being able to, to deliver it. And we're using a handful of movies kind of as these like modern day parables, these stories that teach us the truth about God's kingdom, about what God is like, his character, his nature, uh, what we can learn about what it means to live for him and to follow Jesus. And today we're looking at a beautiful day in the neighborhood. And if you haven't seen it yet, I, I checked online this morning. It is still playing at the AMC Theater over by College Mall. And, and it's, there's a 12.50 showing. And so after this, go grab a quick lunch and then let's just flood the theater. Let's pack it out. They'll be like, why are so many people coming to this? Uh, go see it, 12.50. It's also playing, I believe, at 4 o'clock uh, through at least, at least Wednesday. It is simply a fantastic, fantastic movie. And there was one thing that made Fred Rogers unique. One thing that made him unique, it was his passionate pursuit to imitate God's love for us in Jesus and then to take that and to share that love with others. And the reason why this is so unique is because there aren't many people who pursue imitating God with as much passion and energy as Mr. Rogers did. You see, God himself sets the example for what it means to live a life of love and kindness to others, an example that Mr. Rogers lived out so well, but it's an example that you and I can follow too. And in Ephesians chapter five, Paul tells us to be imitators of God above all else, be imitators of God. Look at what he says Starting in verse one, Paul writes, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in this verse, we are told to follow God's example and to get the context of exactly what God's example is. We have to go up just a little bit to the end of Ephesians chapter four, where Paul is, is, is telling us to build others up, build others up instead of tearing them down, to get rid in our life, to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and to instead be filled with kindness and compassion to forgive as we have been forgiven through Christ. This is the way that God has loved us and we are to follow his example as dearly loved children. I love just a little aside that coming out of Jesus' baptism as John brings him out of the water where we get this glimpse that, that heaven is, is kind of torn open and God speaks a word over his son. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then later Paul speaks that same word over you, that you are a dearly loved child. And because of this, we can walk in the way of love. And I love this imagery, imagery of, of walking in love. That wherever you go, blaze a trail of love in front of you and behind you. Leave love and grace and kindness and compassion in your wake. Whether you walk on campus or at home or at work in your neighborhood on the sidewalk, walk in the way of love. 
And notice here that, that Paul doesn't give us any qualifiers. I mean, he, he doesn't say, walk in the way of love, except when it comes to those people. There's no qualifiers here. It's walk in the way of love. And he means everyone. I like how Thomas Merton put it. He wrote, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they are worthy. That's it. Like our job is to love others without stopping to, to ask, are they worthy of my love? That's the way that God loves us. It's the way that he loves me because I'm telling you, I am certainly not worthy of God's love. But then Paul, he, he turns and he sets the bar for us even higher. And he says, not only should we follow God's example, but he says, just as Christ loved us, he gives us another example to pursue, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. You see, in Jesus, we see the perfect model of God's love in action. He is our ultimate example of kindness and compassion and forgiveness to follow and if you are a follower of Jesus, you have, listen to me, you have everything you need inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit to live this kind of love, to walk in this kind of grace and kindness and compassion. And man, don't we need the Holy Spirit's power to do this because it's not always easy. It's hard work to take this love and kindness and forgiveness that we have freely received in Christ and then turn around and share it with others. It does not come naturally to us, but it's the example that we've been called to follow. And so a couple of takeaways for us this morning. Number one, show love to others because God has shown love to you. Show love to others because God has shown love to you. And I know I get the objections. And the reason I get them is because I use them all the time. But, 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 but you don't understand. You don't get it. You don't know what that person is like. You don't know how difficult they are to love. Man, I get it. And you know what? There are times I don't know how difficult I am to love. There are times you don't know how difficult you are to love. But God showered us with his love anyway. When we love others, even when they are hard to love, when we put that love into action by walking in the way of kindness and compassion and forgiveness, we start getting closer and closer, not just to the heart of God, but closer and closer into the image of Jesus. Second takeaway for us this morning is show love to others because others have shown love to you. Show love to others because others have shown love to you. Now, I'm not saying only love those who love you. Anyone can do that. That's easy. And it like completely misses the mark of a savior who taught us to love our enemies and loved us even when we were his enemies. What I am saying is that others have loved you even when you were pretty unlovable, right? Take that love and extend it out to others, whether they deserve it or not, because you never know the difference it could make. I'm telling you, I am standing here today because of the love that someone showed me 22 years ago. I graduated from high school in 1998. My friend uh, Mark and I were going to a party with some friends 
And I wasn't a follower of Jesus uh, at that point in my life and made some pretty poor decisions, and including uh, agreeing to bring a case of alcohol to the party that we were going to on the night of graduation. We had an older friend who bought it for us and uh, we met her in a parking lot. She put it in the trunk of our car and uh, Mark and I took off to the party. But, but before we got there, uh, we had to stop by Mark's house. He had to drop something off or pick something up. I can't remember which one it was. And so we ran into his house real quickly. He ran upstairs to do what he had to do. I was sitting in the, in the kitchen with Bill and Linda, his parents. And Mark came back down and uh, we're like, okay, we're taking off. We'll see you later. And right as we were about ready to, to leave, Linda, um, his mom said, wait a second. You know, I think I left my umbrella in the trunk of your car. <laughs> like, no, no, I don't think that you did. I don't think that you did. I'm sure that it's somewhere around here. And she's like, well, let me just go and check. Let me go and check. And we're like, no, no, we'll go and check. We'll go and check. And I'll tell you, the more that we objected, the more she's like, no, I'm going to go see what's in that trunk. <laughs> and so we... Uh, we tried talking her out of it, but eventually she went out. She opened up the trunk and she found what we had stashed away. And I think what made that moment so difficult was not that she got mad because she didn't. Like it would have been a lot easier if she just would have slammed the trunk, started yelling and cussing us out. Like that would have been easy. I could have handled that. Man, it was that she was so disappointed in our actions. And, and some of you, you know the difference between someone being mad at you and someone being disappointed in you. And that, that cut me pretty deeply. See, because since fifth grade, Bill and Linda had been trying to be a spiritual influence on my life. They'd been trying to point me to Jesus. I, I, I came to a place in high school where I found myself spending more time at the Strickland's house than I did even my home because it was just a place of comfort and peace and love that I was starving for as, as a high school student. And, and whenever I would go over to their house, Bill and Linda would always tell me, Sean, God loves you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you in your life. And as an arrogant high school student, I, my only response was, well, okay, good for him. That's great. <laughs> and so here in this moment, after, after seven years of, of pouring themselves into me, after loving me in ways that I did not deserve, even as I was kind of being a bad influence on their own son, and here in this moment could not imagine the disappointment that they felt for our choice. And Linda didn't really say anything. She just took the keys and went inside. They lived out in the country and I had a, one of those big trampolines and uh, it was dark by this time. And so Mark and I just went and laid on the trampoline looking up at the sky going, oh, what's coming next? <laughs> and after what seemed like an eternity, Linda came out and she said, Mark, go inside. I need to talk to Sean. And I thought, no, don't go anywhere, Mark. I need a witness. Like you stay right here. <laughs> and over the next hour, Linda, Linda and I had a conversation about God's love and grace and forgiveness. She told me about the forgiveness that Jesus offered my sins. And even though I had heard this from her many times for the first time that night, it actually, it took. It really meant something more than just words. And at the end of the night, Linda prayed for me. And she assured me that nothing could change God's love for me and that nothing could change their love for me. And 22 years later, I am more convinced of that than ever. 
Linda's act of kindness and grace, it, 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 it did a couple of things for me that, that night. Number one, that kind of became like my D-Day. Like that wasn't the end of the war, but that was the beginning of the end for me. And it was two months later that I surrendered my life to Christ and made a decision to follow Jesus. And that night just was replaying in my mind over and over again when grace became real and the kindness of this woman that I thought so much of made that happen. But it also serves as an example to me over the years of showing love to others because others like Linda have shown an incredible amount of love to me, undeserved love, I can assure you. And I'm wondering this morning, who is that person in your life? Who is your Linda? Same is true for us. And our our medium may not be TV, but it's the way that we live and the way that we act and the way that we treat others in our home, at school, at work, and in our community. You only have one life to help someone feel loved and special who may not think that anyone in this world thinks that they are loved, loves them or thinks that they are special. You have only one life to be the person that someone else thinks of when they are asked who made a difference for them. And so here's my challenge as we leave today. As you follow God's example and as you walk in the way of love, my challenge for all of us is this, do one act of kindness for someone this week. Just do one act of kindness for someone this week. And you could do something random like paying for someone's coffee or meal in a drive-thru. You could leave an extra generous tip for your server at lunch today or offer to do something for a friend or a coworker. Or maybe your act of kindness needs to be more intentional than random. Maybe the most kind thing that you can do for someone today is to forgive them for the way that they've hurt you. Maybe the most kind thing that you can do for someone today is to make a phone call and ask for the forgiveness of someone that you have hurt. Whatever it is, my challenge for us this morning is to do one act of kindness for someone this week. Imagine what it would look like. Imagine what it would be like if all of us took this opportunity and this challenge seriously and the impact that 3,000 acts of kindness might make in our community this week. It will not change the world, but it might make a real difference in someone's life. And you can be that difference. In the word of Fred Rogers, imagine what our real neighborhoods would be like if each of us offered, as a matter of course, just one kind word to another person. Church, let's go out and follow God's example, walking in the way of love and compassion and kindness. And as we walk out into this world, God wants to use us to make a difference in the lives of others. Why don't you stand with me and I'll pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word and for the challenge uh, to live it out that we see in it. And there is no challenge greater than this one to be imitators of God, to love as Jesus has loved us. That is a high bar. And Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us get there. But thank you so much for your grace and your kindness to us 
And Lord, I pray that we will take what we have received so generously from you and we will extend that generously to the lives of others. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So we wanna give you a chance to respond, to reflect this morning before we go. And the Bible says that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's not his anger, it's not his wrath, it's God's kindness that is intended to lead us to repentance. And so this morning, my question is, what, what is it that you need to turn from? Do you need to re- repent from loving others who are only like you? Loving others who can only do something for you or that you feel deserve your love? Do you need to turn from a life of just anger, resentment, just kind of lives inside of your heart affecting the way that you treat others. Maybe for you today, you need to turn from your sin and the brokenness and the hurt and pain in your life and you need to repent from that, turn from that and run right into the arms of Jesus whose arms are wide open ready to welcome you home. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.